0: Our message today is called Zero Faith. Yep. Charlie and Caleb already preached the finest Father's Day message that we could have, not only this year, but in many years. Amen. It was called HOA, a homeowner's association. One of the major points in the message was fathers start something, but sons continue it. It was masterful theologically. It was masterful practically. Those two things have to be paired for a message to be good. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. We want you to download it. We want you to listen to it. Because the message expresses the heart of this ministry with excellence. They managed to encapsulate in 50 minutes what we've been trying to say for 18 years. It's something that every father should listen to. And every son should study. We have an obligation to the generations to come. There's a slide, Joy, that we want to show.
1: Now, you know that Pastor Eric has been traveling, but sometimes it's hard to quantify what that actually looks like. Like, some people say they drive a lot, and then they meet Daniel and I. This is a whole nother level. This is on a truck that was bought with less than 100 miles on it this morning I took this picture 17,000 miles with 38 and 0.5 tacked there on the end just for good measure with three weeks of the year being out of country where it wasn't driven at all well can we say that we've been traveling a lot yeah. that they have been busy that the one association is busy he has driven approximately 500 hours between the churches, according to the engine hours counted on the truck. As we begin today to talk to you about sacrifice, we want to make it as practical, as applicable, and as implementable as possible. Because you know that you are eager to join us in this great cause. Are you eager to join us? Yes. You're not going to
0: sit on your blessed assurance, are you? This is LCM. We all want some blood in the offering. Look, in 2002, the Lord told me to start this ministry. I'm very proud of that because I was a scared kid. I had no idea what I was doing, and the Lord led me anyway. That ought to give us all encouragement for wherever you stand here today. In 2004, in a message called The Dreamer, I outlined life as it would look as we stand here today. That's 15 years before it happened. And at the time, it must have seemed crazy because we were in a garage with 20 people in it and several of them were drug addicts and several more were prostitutes. So it was an awkward thing to tell the church, we will be stretching to intercontinental ministry. We will raise up from this room fivefold ministers. We will be touching the nations. One of the proudest moments in my life is when my son heard that message as an adult and came to me after I had forgotten all about it and said, I'm proud of you, Dad. You know, how we invest our life is going to make a difference. Yeah. This ministry supports my two closest friends, which was always a goal, never to be in ministry alone, but instead to raise up a team that was not only competent and in covenant, but that was better than those that founded it. We stand here today and we can say that we have succeeded in that. In 2012, the Lord told me to start the One Association of Churches. It was met with uh, zero enthusiasm, uh, with no participation. And um, most things that the Lord calls do start exactly that way. In fact, I'm very leery of the ministry that pops up overnight with immediate success. I correctly heard from the Lord in 2002. I correctly heard from the Lord in 2004. A blind hog finds an acorn every now and then. These messages are recorded. They're there for posterity's sake. In fact, at this point, we have almost 1,300 messages recorded. I want to assure you, and the reason I'm going through that history is that what we're telling you today, friends, you can take it to the bank. You can record it. It can be trusted with the same level of veracity that you have trusted in the vision thus far. This January, something happened that we didn't fully explain, and we need to fully explain it. In January, standing right where Charlie is standing... The Lord spoke to me and He did it through three prophecies in this church. And He said, it's time. You have to cut the tether. You have to step out on a limb. The one association will not rise to be what it is supposed to if you stay at home. So I am sending you. So I set aside the position that I have in this church. We'll never set aside the position we have in each other's hearts. But I set that aside along with its income, along with every other thing... And the two pastors that you have stepped up to lead this church in every way. I've been gone well over 50% of this year. And they are doing an excellent job. At the same time, we sent a letter to the other one association churches. It said, brothers, we're stepping out in ministry and the Stevens are fully supported only by what comes from the churches. We'll accept no offering from any individual in any church. We'll return it always to the pastor. This was kind of a a step for us, a step along a journey that always requires more and always requires all you have. That mandate is to take the eight current churches of the one association and edify them, build them into what they're supposed to be, but also to add four more domestically. We are supposed to have 12 churches in the continental United States that according to Exodus fifteen twenty seven would be springs that fund and support and plant the churches of the nations that are coming from us. Amen. What began in a garage will stretch all the way around the world. As an example of what churches are receiving, I'm asking you to do something. I, I will not reheat a message. I won't take one and just dust it off and share it again. So I'm asking you to go to our sermon app, to go to our website, or to go to our YouTube channel. And we took a message from the arising church from this last Sunday, and we put it on your website because I want you to see, I want you to hear what the churches are receiving. And then ask yourself, should they be denied seeing it and hearing it? In all of the years that I've been preaching, and it's tens of thousands of messages, the Lord has never spoken to me any more strongly than He did at the Arising Church. Do you know why? He loves them every bit as much as He loves you. He cares for them every bit as much as He cares for you. He wants to birth ministers out of that ministry just like He's birthing them right here. Is that important to you?
1: We've done away with selfish Christianity. The only kind that we know is sacrificial. I've listened to the sermon a few times now, and it is really worth taking some time with a pen, a Bible out, being able to read through it and get everything out of it that you can because it's filled with treasures. But I was here with you Sunday. We weren't just sitting around, were we? No. Did you get filled with the Holy Ghost again on Sunday? Oh, I somebody did. Somebody did. Did somebody get free in the gifts? Yeah. Did we see deliverances? Yeah. Did we see repentance? Were you blessed by Pentecost here at LCM? Yes. It was a powerful day. You could feel the presence of God raining down on us in a way where he just wanted us to be able to feel him moving in us. I want to read you a scripture and we're going to continue to grow in our response to that baptism in the Holy Ghost. Amen. We're going to take a look at Deuteronomy sixteen sixteen. Somebody say there when you're there. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord, your God, and place he will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, we've been able to experience seasonal revival that the Lord is bringing in, that are supposed to direct us to the way that God is moving, where he's building us up, causing us to stretch out further. We're watching these things that God instilled in the word happen in our own lives. Were you blessed by it? Tell me one more time. Were you blessed by it? No man. No, we need to hear again because I just got to ask. I heard dozens of people got
0: baptized. I heard that people got filled with the Holy Ghost. I heard that people came to repentance in a way that they have never before. Is that a look? Is this a Donuts dad service or is that the kind of thing that the heavens rejoice over? Then how do we rejoice churches? Is is it um, like we've been arrested do you actually have shackles and handcuffs on, or can you rejoice over souls saved? Hallelujah. You guys in the back
1: did better than you guys in the back did very well. <laughs> Come on, he's not here for every service. This makes him respond like men. So three times a year, we have these feasts that are lined out. And then it says, no man, say no man with me. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. And you were blessed on Sunday, weren't you? This should draw a question to mind. You know, I know that you were
0: blessed. I know that you were blessed because while I'm away, what I am fed by is I watch every service. I watch them. I take notes about them. I, I talk to each of the pastors. The real question for me was not, was the amazing body of L.C.M. blessed on Pentecost? My real question is after hearing Judah just read to you Deuteronomy, it's not really what the Lord gave to you on Pentecost. The question is, what have you given to the Lord? Because no man is allowed to appear before the Lord empty-handed. So we stand and we say, more love, more power, more of your spirit in my life, more of you, Lord. We want More. And I'm asking you, what did you bring for the Lord in response to what the Lord has done? Verse 17 is worth reading again. Amen. Each of you must, not might, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Let that settle on your soul because we're in a time of unparalleled consumerism. We come to consume. We do not come To contribute. This is selfishness in the highest order. And LCM is doing better than any church that I'm aware of. And yet we are affected by the culture around us. Because when we read about Pentecost, we hear what the Lord will give us. But we do not hear that we must bring something to the Lord. So I want to ask, do you have an insatiable, an unquenchable, a compulsive or voracious desire to sacrifice for the Lord in material Real, practical ways. Are you sure? It's not just an inward feeling that you're open to. It's something that you're expectant and looking forward and eager to do. Three times a year, they did this in Israel. It's important for us to ask ourselves whether our walk is being defined by consuming the Lord's blessings or becoming the blessing of the Lord. It's our hope today to move you. That's my hope every time we stand before you. We try not to waste your time. We want to move you beyond consuming and into courageous contribution to the Lord's work. Anybody want to be courageous? Yes. What is it? Rock kazak veyamats. Amen. Important syllables sometimes change all of the meaning to a native speaker. To be strong and courageous in contributing, not strong and courageous in consuming. I don't want to be a pig at the trough my whole life. The greatest joys that I've ever seen have to do with what you're able to do for someone else and in someone else. Church, the reason that I'm standing here with a very few opportunities to speak to you this year and speaking on the subject that we're speaking on is because those of you that have known me for Almost three decades can count on one hand the number of times I've ever talked to you about money. It is true. And just as the Lord told me to start LCM and the One Association, He's told me we're going to plant more churches in the U.S. We're going to plant more churches in Indonesia. We're going to plant more churches in Peru. We're going to do it in Turkey. We're going to do it in Israel. Somebody ought to say amen for that. We're going to do it throughout the Muslim world. I can say with absolute confidence that you may never again have the kind of opportunity to join in the tangible and practical work of the Lord quite like what is happening right now. And that's somebody that's been in the kingdom working at it since 1993 every day of my life. There has never been an opportunity like now. That's exciting. So without apology and with all directness that you've come to expect from me, I am openly asking you to support this church right now. You'll never be able to give directly to the one association. Everything must go through the churches because the church is the pillar and the foundation of God's work Amen. on
1: earth. Amen. So how courageous are you today? Go to number six with me. Some of you found out that we're talking
0: about contributing rather than consuming. There. And your zeal left with your donut holes. There.
1: There. You there? there? Now, I had a couple of minutes with Pastor Wade this morning. And that's always a blessing. And laughingly, we're contemplating the fact that we all want each other to love Jesus. But I want to love him the most. Pastor Wade wants to love him the most. And we don't make it easy on each other. Nick and Peyton don't make it easy on me. But what that should produce inside of us is a desire to push even further. Where we spur each other on into strength. We're going to pick up in the very first verse of number six. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or a woman wants to make a special vow, A vow of separation to the Lord as a Nazarite. Say special vow. Special vow. A vow of separation. Say vows vows of separation. Amongst the people of God, this is a vow that separates you from the rest of the class. Those who actually want to love the Lord the most. They're saying that out of all of God's people, I want to take a special vow in his sanctuary. A vow of separation that makes me even distinct from them. How hungry are you this morning? Do you want to be just one of the Israelites or do you want to be a mighty fighting man? Do you want to meet among the crowds that are following Jesus or do you want to be a devoted disciple? This is LCM. And we're a part of the one association. How devoted are you going to be LCM? We want that strength and character that says, I want a special vow to the Lord. I want to be separate because I'm so wholehearted that even amongst believers... You can see a fire inside of my eyes. There was a corresponding cost that was associated with this. The offerings were so expensive that the equivalency would put most of us bankrupt. If not, if not all of that were not enough, there's more. There's more to the verse. In number 6.21 it says, This is the
0: law of the Nazarite who vows his offering to the Lord in accordance with his separation." in addition to whatever else he can afford. Did you catch that? In addition, if you could afford to give away the fleet of cars that it requires, then whatever else you could afford was also required. He must fulfill the vow he has made according to the law of the Nazarite. If somehow or another you're able to give away the equivalence to an entire fleet of cars, and it's truthfully more than that, then it says whatever else you can afford. To be a Nazarite... You had to have the faith to be left with zero.
1: Can you imagine being a child? Anna is sitting next to Wade here, Pastor Wade under his arm. And you see somebody at the temple or walking around in the market. And their hair is all grown out. Their beard is all grown out. Nothing is trimmed. Nothing is brushed. They stand out from society. I remember when Cody... Yeah, did an approximation to an Azerite vow, and he was taking some time to be in prayer and closer to the Lord. And somebody called the cops on him because they were scared uh, when he was standing in our front lawn. We actually got a warning at the house. There's some strange
0: big, massive hairy man hanging out outside your house. Jen said, um,
1: that's my son. <laughs> so you have to imagine you're Anna sitting over here next to your father. And you see somebody who's unusual, by all means, they stand out. And they're dragging a bull into the temple. And they're sacrificing it. Or maybe a new car. And they're setting it on fire out in this parking lot as an offering before the Lord that just burns up right in front of you. You don't get to do anything with it, you don't get to see something happen with it. It doesn't go to the poor and needy, it's burned before your eyes. Now imagine Anna is looking at this. And then she sees him donating land. His ability to produce food for himself. Or maybe getting rid of a retirement account that was supposed to provide for him later on in life. All of this just burned before the Lord as an offering. Hmm. Anna would ask a question, wouldn't she? If she saw some strange man doing all of this, why is he doing that, Daddy? It was meant to draw curiosity. It was meant to make Israelite children look and say, why is it that this man is doing this? And there was a specific answer for this. He was one who was specially devoted to the Lord. One who was willing to make a vow of separation. Are you willing to make a vow of separation today? Yes, yes, yes. See, this was meant to draw questions from our children, from our sons. I want to tell you that I never had to ask a question like this. See, very early on, I remember watching businesses be burned up in flames that immediately bought a plane ticket or paid somebody else's bill. And I got to see, over time, the fruit of it. But in the moment, it was just an offering before the Lord. It just looked like you set it on fire right there. The businesses that I saw sold, that brought us into India, that helped build out the original sanctuary, that is the time frame that many of you were born again, or the person who brought you to the church came. Mike was there during this time frame. He's now a pastor in Dallas. This is an interesting season in our lives, and offerings were being made that were a special vow. There are several locations in Houston that my father owned shares in, that he helped manage, that he worked in. Do you know who his firstborn son is? It's me. Whose inheritance was set on fire in that day? I want you to think about it for a minute. Whose inheritance was set on fire that day? I want you to consider that what the Lord finds pleasing and should be an inheritance for your children is not what the world thinks is pleasing. Your daughters, your sons, they don't need some great lump sum that you are looking to give them. They need a fire inside of their soul that says sacrifice is worth it. What that trip did for me is it showed me who I am called in Christ. It stirred something up inside of my soul that set me on the path that I am now. You might need to take a look at your lives and see what can I offer to the Lord. What can I set as a flame right before Him that I don't get to see the benefit of, that I don't get to put in someone's hands. It's not a set of keys. It's not a stable income. But I'm trusting that God will produce something victorious out of it. The reason that I'm standing with the men that I am now is because I received a heart for the nations. The Lord began to work on my soul and it's what led to me being transformed. You know, it's easy to do with a mission trip. Well, we're talking about visions that are bigger than a single trip in this room. How burns the fire of your soul today? Are you smoldering and self-sustaining? In this room, you have a love for the Lord, but it's enough for you, your wife, and your children to know more? See, the kind of fire that we're talking about is one that is unquenchable, insatiable, that cannot be subdued in this room. See, I learned a life of sacrifice. It wasn't just a one-time event. Many men in this room have left houses, have left businesses, have left jobs. But that's not enough for the future. We have accomplished things, but we are not going to rest on the milestones of the past. We're going to see what we have done fulfilled in the nations on a grand scale. Can you imagine stopping now after we've invested so much? I want to tell you that men in this room have given more than their fair share. And there are some that have also watched from a distance. It's time that like a car engine, we set some things on fire that produce a chain reaction. It's time that we start moving and turning over. That we allow ourselves to get hot to the place where we're looking for the opportunity to sacrifice. It's not enough for us to say, I did this in the past. What about today? What is the Lord looking from your life today? Because we have the opportunity to produce a special offering before the Lord. The kind that can transform your family and nations. We're not looking just to have a stagnant Christianity that is enough for you, Susie and Johnny, and no more. How do you think these things were accomplished in 2002, 2004, 2012, and even up to this day? It was done by the sacrifice of men who held nothing whatsoever in reserve. Pastor Wade, Pastor Matthew, Pastor Eric are men that are capable of doing anything that they want with their lives. I don't mind saying that as far as a business standpoint is concerned, those of you in the room who find yourselves astute, they had the potential to make far more than you did. They did make more than you did at some point, And they chose to throw it away. It's not as if this ministry at any point in time has been careless with money. We're speaking about something that we have seen demonstrated that a, what feels like just being burned up in the moment produced what you are experiencing right now. In this moment, what you are benefiting from, what your children are benefiting from, that you've been apart for two, three, four, five years, but took 20 to produce for you, was done through the sacrifice down to zero. Where there is no holds barred, nothing left, like a fire that was all-consuming, looking for the opportunity to contribute to the work of God. We're on the edge of another great vision. We're on the edge of something that is going to be remembered in the kingdom of heaven for years to come. It's time that we run to take our place before another does. I want to tell you that it is a privilege to contribute in any way, shape, or form. And that God will make sure that His Word is accomplished. The question is, will you participate in it or not? You have the opportunity to run to take your place in the kingdom of God. And it's not an extended time frame. It's do I want it or am I going to shy away and hide under my chair? Do you want to take place in it? Steve Thomas, do you want to participate in it? I know that you do. I know that this church wants to. And I want you to understand the gravity of it. It's not one of those events where you're donating to some mythical event where children somewhere in a faraway place are going to somehow receive it, and 70% of it gets lost in an organization and in some CEO's pocket. You see what happens with it. You have an advantage. You don't even have to light it on fire. You get to watch something happen with it. In the biblical setting, this Nazarite has to watch it ascend into the heavens and trust that God sees it. You get to trust that God sees it and then watch it happen on the earth. Isn't that a blessing, church? You know,
0: I am blessed beyond belief to be standing here with a son. But the truth is, is I've been blessed for many years with sons in the church. They're pastoring in other places. They're sitting in here. This whole idea comes from Numbers 3. And it begins in verse 1. This is the account of the family of Aaron and Moses. The family of who? Aaron and Moses. At the time the Lord talked with Moses on Mount Sinai, the names of the sons of Aaron were Nadab the firstborn and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Those were the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests who were ordained to serve as priests. Now, this passage begins by telling you that you're going to hear about the family of Aaron and Moses. In Hebrew, it's more specifically about their offspring. Where are Moses' sons listed here? Well, I tell you that they are listed when Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar are. You say, no, those are Aaron's sons. No, the Jewish perspective on this verse is that Aaron may very well have given these children life. But because Moses taught them the Torah, they are considered his sons as well. Amen. It's actually written in Sanhedrin 19b, a passage in the Talmud, whoever teaches the Torah to a son of his fellow man, the scripture regards to him as though he had begotten that child. Look, it's Father's Day. I don't like thematic messages based on Hallmark calendar events. I never have. So very often on a holiday, we preach about something totally different, much to the chagrin of all of our guests. Fathers, biblical fathers, they don't receive gifts. They give them. The the sacrificial life of the father is an example to the spiritual son, and it is his inheritance. A father bleeds... To lead, Amen. A father sacrifices to demonstrate a spiritual life. Moses gave up all of Egypt's wealth, all of Egypt's education, all of Egypt's prestige. He did that so that he could become a father to an entire nation. The foundation of everything Moses accomplished was a sacrifice on a monumental level. To give you another example from this, you know that we like to go Law of Prophets writings in this church. We're going to be in 1 Kings 19 and in verse 19. Somebody holler there. I can say holler in Texas. I have to make a very specific request of you in the other states. Actually, in Virginia, I can say holler too. (laughs) They think I'm talking about a specific place in West Virginia, but... (laughs) Hey, 1 Kings 19, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Wow. What have I done to you? That's a very serious question. Before we examine it, let's look at verse 21. So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. You know, Elijah was a unique prophet. And he had sacrificed all in his life for the glory of God. He had stood against all for the glory of God. He suffered for the glory of God. His question to Elisha was a very serious one. What have I done to you? He knew what he was asking Elijah to do because he had done it. He knew the sacrifice that it would take because he had done it. And he was concerned in that moment about a man who would be a spiritual son and the sacrifice that it would take for him. Elisha responded. He responded by giving up his family. Say, oh, that's not godly. For Elisha it was. You know, every holiday that rolls by, every single holiday that rolls by, I'm reminded how much I love Jesus. Say, how on earth could that be? I'm reminded... Because I have a whole host of relatives that have not one thing to do with me because I intensely burn with a love for Jesus and they feel guilty about their existence. I don't have to say anything. If I sit in the same room with them, they begin hurling accusations. They begin attacking because darkness hates light. Every single holiday, I am reminded... Of just how much I love Jesus. The more the love of Jesus cost you, the more He is worth to you. A salvation that costs you nothing is worth absolutely nothing. If you don't pick up a cross and follow Him at great cost, then He's not actually worth anything to you. He's a trinket in your life. Wow. Elijah understood this. And he understood what it would take for Elisha to become Elisha. He gave up his family. He gave up his business He's not able to go back to plowing anymore. He gave up his provision and he
1: did it in the pursuit of the glory of God. Now, you must wonder what happens to Elisha after this. What happens when he gives up his business, he gives up everything that he has. At some point, Elijah's going to die. What is he left with? Much like the disciples, at some point the Christ was going to leave. What are they left with? We're going to put 2 Kings 2, verse 11 on the screen. I'll read it to you. As they were walking along together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. Say, tore them apart. Tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah And went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it, and it divided it into two. Then he crossed over it. Elijah received a double anointing from what his father, his mentor, his teacher had, and he received the mantle that he had carried. Elisha calls Elijah his father, and taught him sacrifice, the anointing, the prophetic mantle. He was his father even though he was not born to him. Much like Moses and Aaron's sons. Elisha goes on to do exactly twice the number of miracles that Elisha did. The greater sacrifice, the greater the glory is. Say that with me. The greater the sacrifice, the greater 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 that the glory is. This is the inheritance of a son of God. See, a son learns from watching
0: his father. The glory of the greater sacrifice. He learns it as a lifestyle. He learns the cost so that he can walk in it his entire life and never back up from it. This is what it means to be blessed in your life. is to have the armory of heaven at your disposal. To have the resources of heaven at your disposal because you've left none for yourself here.
1: So what is it that you think your children need this morning? We're going to consider First Kings and Second Kings in this moment. Do we read this example in the Word? And in this room, you think Disney World is more important? You think a lump sum at the end of your life is more important? We're going to take a moment and we're going to evaluate in this room. Does your life reflect Elisha and Elijah? Or does it look more like the world around you? Come on, I know the character of the men and women in this room. If that is the case, we do not have to stay that way this morning. We have the opportunity to be remembered like Benaiah's father, Jehoiada the priest, who is a man who made sacrifices but raised up a warrior. You have the opportunity to be remembered like David, who his investments were strictly for the kingdom of God being raised up. In this room, each of you have the chance to be a mighty father like Elijah himself. You can give your sons a double anointing of what you have. Do you want your children to have double the anointing that you do? It only comes through sacrifice. And it does not come from worldly treasures. It does not come from storing up wealth for yourself. It comes from living a life that is insatiable, that is unquenchable, that is compulsive for the kingdom and voracious. We're not going to live quiet, balanced lives. We're going to be men like the men of the Bible. You know, I can't help but be
0: proud of my son. Um, I hear the Spirit flowing out of him. And saying the same things that he's been saying to me my whole life. You know, that really is what an inheritance looks like. You learn to walk in the footsteps of your fathers. I want to show you something in First Chronicles 21. And I just got to be honest. I'm going to take a rabbit trail while you're turning there. How many people have you sat beside their hospital bed? Mm -hmm. or watch them waste away with zero activity in their life and nothing going on for the kingdom, not surrounded by a community, but instead dying in total isolation. But they had health insurance. They had a fat savings account. They had prepared to die well, but they had never lived well. It's every day. In fact, every time I've ever met somebody that's very proud of all they've accumulated, all I can think about is how I've watched cancer, watched things strip. Everything they ever accumulated away from them and everything they were proud of, they die without anyway. Suffering has a way of eliminating the superfluous from your life. It has a way of showing you what is unimportant and what is important. It's an incredible concept to think that it is wise to store up for a rainy day, but it's an even better concept to make today a better day. Amen. Hey, 1 Chronicles 21, verse 24. But King David replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying the full price. Now those of you that are unfamiliar with the background of this story, you probably should hear it. David has been responsible for a plague, but David's also been responsible for the nation being delivered from Saul. David has made terrible mistakes, but he's also a king that shows the very heart of God. In other words, David is just like many of you. He had a sinful nature, and he had a nature that was influenced by the divine to the extent that he's an example to us all, and we love the Psalms. Amen. So he wants to go... And be obedient to a prophecy and buy a plot of land. He wants to buy a plot of land because God has said his name will dwell there. And Aruna, knowing what kind of man David is, comes out and says, Listen, you don't have to pay anything for it. And you don't need animals for the sacrifice. Man, you don't even so much as need to light a fire. I will do it all for you and do it gladly. And David will not accept that. David says, Clearly, I want to pay full price. What kind of heart wants to pay full price if you can get it for a quarter price? David understood that the more he paid for it, the more it was worth to him. David understood that if he cheapened it by haggling and negotiating over something that is precious, eternal, and divine, that he lowered it. This is what's happened to the gospel all around us. We have cheapened it. Raise a pinky with every head bowed and every eye closed, so that cowards can pretend to enter the kingdom. Promise you that if you give, then you will get back more than you give. We have cheapened it. These prosperity pimps have lied to the church. And the church has become increasingly selfish because of it. I'm here to tell you, you may never get back what you gave. I never promise you seven times more. I can tell you that the act of giving it itself is the blessing. Amen. I didn't set out in ministry to become seven times more wealthy than when I started. In fact, every pastor in this church has been on a fixed income for years. No matter what the church receives, we never take more. Because we like to pay full price. We glory in the sacrifice of building something for the Lord. Amen. But King David replied to Aruna, "No, I insist on paying full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours—a sacrifice, a burnt offering that cost me nothing." So David paid Aruna six hundred shekels of gold for the site. David built an altar. By the way, look up six hundred shekels. Sometimes. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar with the burnt offering. See, David is very much like his father, Abraham. In other words, a father produces a son that becomes a father. Fathers bleed and lead. Fathers set an example in Genesis twenty-three nine, Abraham said exactly the same thing. No, I insist on paying full price. Amen. David, like his father Abraham, paid the full price for the future of the Lord's work. Do you understand that they received nothing? Do you understand that Abraham got nothing out of paying full price for Hebron? Do you understand that David got nothing out of paying full price for Aruna's threshing floor? These men were not looking to go an acceptable distance in the eyes of their peers. They were insatiable. They were unquenchable. They were even compulsive to the point of being voracious in their desire to sacrifice for the Lord in a real, material, and practical way. Amen. They didn't sit back and say, I'm open to it. They actually went forward and did it. Yeah. Now when I speak of Abraham, understand he succeeded in securing The site of his entire family's resurrection from the dead. See, he didn't see it as an investment in the now. He saw it as an investment that would literally be good for an eternity. In the case of David, he succeeded in securing the site where God's name would dwell and his son would build a place. Oh man, you could come and we could give you some dad's root beer or something slightly queer like that. Or we could talk to you about the holy masculinity of sacrifice. Amen. We could talk to you about what it means to raise up a son that looks at your sacrifice and his entire desire is to not just meet it, but go well beyond it because he knows you will be proud. Amen. Tell me that's not in the model of Jesus Christ that Charlie and Caleb were speaking about. Amen. I am so sure about what we're doing. That I have foregone health insurance. I have had teeth pulled out of my head rather than have them treated. Nick and I saw it in Suriname and it gave me a great idea. So when I went to the dentist next, instead of the thousands of dollars, we got out for a hundred bucks, just a few less teeth. I've cashed in all of my life insurance. You think I'm joking, watch me eat steak. There are no molars back there. And it's not because I failed to take care of my teeth. It's because I'd rather have them pulled out of my head than take money off of the mission field. Wow. We've cashed in life insurance policies. We've sold every possession. Every. Not some. Every. That's why we wear the same clothes week after week. And please, don't you begin to feel even a little bit of sympathy for us. Yeah. I don't want it. It is my honor. Amen. I would yeah. never wash that off. Amen. Wade and Matthew... The elders, they've sold houses. They've left businesses. They've joined in every sacrifice. Right down to you saw your pastors painting the floors with you. You saw them go without sleep. You saw them use diamond bits on glue that was as stubborn as the sin in some of your hearts. I want to say very confidently to you, absolutely, unabashedly, unashamed, everyone will want to join in the success of this ministry in the years to come. They will see it and everyone will want to. Mm -hmm. But very few will have the faith to join in the sacrifice that's necessary to produce that success. I say to you, with all the love of the father of this house,
1: hurry before someone takes your place. It's a beautiful thing to be able to recognize what God is doing in advance and choose to participate in it. want to continue in our word and we have more things to share with you about that vision i want to tell you that absalom is a stark example absalom had sons but is recorded as having no sons and just a monument in his own honor and he probably thought that his pursuit of stealing the kingdom of building up his own wealth would be something that he would give to his kids that would make it all worth it and the reality is that he died in disgrace and without sons of his own I want you to say something with me. A monument here, a monument here. Or, a monument there. or a monument there? You guys are going to have a monument in the heavens because you're going to get it right today. We're not going to die like Absalom. Turn to Acts 2.
0: As we are in Acts 2, I can't help but reflect on what my son is saying. And I can't because I've stood present day At Absalom's monument. He left something sticking out of the earth there. Nobody gets saved there. Nobody gets spirit-filled there. Nobody gets water-baptized there. Lives are not dramatically transformed when looking at Absalom's monument to selfishness. They don't get to see that. Very few have dug deeply enough into the Scripture to find out that Absalom had sons, but... The scripture actually said, because he had no sons, he made a monument, which makes you wonder, how did he have sons, but build a monument because he had no sons, not living sacrificially in front of them, not investing in the kingdom in front of them, but working to build his own name, exterminated his son's callings. We're talking about actions today that your children see that they want to emulate, I remember what it was like for my children to bring me their piggy banks for our mission trips. We set a standard early in the church that you could not baptize a child that did not give away their favorite toy and invite their class. We took a stand against a heated baptismal movement. How absurd is that? We want the water to be just right before we identify with the brutal death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ so that we can identify with His resurrection. We want a costless gospel We've been teaching our children how much the gospel costs from the very beginning, and it is their great joy to rise to meet it. When you think of children, I want you to understand I have far more sons than I have sons. You travel to the one association churches and you will see the same kind of attitude. You will see the same kind you will see the same kind of sacrificial love these people don't want to sing sweet songs with Jesus under rainbows eating Skittles while skipping on the beach they don't see God as a puppy love drunk suitor who is chasing them because he just can't get enough of them they understand that he is a glorious king and all they want to do is follow him with a reverential obedience that brings a pleasant aroma before him So they probably won't release their songs on today's Christian radio. Acts 2 is the envy of the church world. I mean, how many times have you heard in your life, we want to build an Acts 2 kind of church? How many times have you said we need to restore the first century church? How many times have you longed for the power of Pentecost in the church? How many times has Acts 2 been the example is it fair to say that this has been an example to you? That you've hungered for it? Or should you be in a cessationist church? A monument to something that once saved and now is just a steeple in a tomb. In Acts 2, 42, listen to how it is said. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That is usually where people stop quoting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Are you getting that? Yeah. The apostles were fathers because they taught the Torah. The apostles left everything for the kingdom. Everything. They kept nothing and left everything. So their spiritual sons matched the sacrifice and produced a church that is the envy of the Christian world today. Most churches are trying to figure out how to regain the church of Acts 2. But they do not do what the church of Acts 2 did. We want the miracles without the sacrifice. We want the anointing oil without the blood that is the prerequisite for it. Nothing in Acts 2 was achieved by one man's generosity. It was the mutual sacrifice of all, for all, in God's kingdom. Mutual sacrifice. That's when you can grab your brother's hand and say, this is going to hurt, I'm glad you're with me. Because he's not just watching you, he's bleeding with you. The believers of the first century were not just open to giving. They didn't just meet a perceived minimum requirement with a calculator or an abacus. They were insatiable. They were unquenchable. They were compulsive, they were voracious in their desire to sacrifice for the Lord in very real, material, and practical ways. A man like Joseph becomes Barnaba, Barnabas Amen. after he sells everything that he has and he spends his life in the ministry of Paul. But that ministry came after he got rid of everything. And how many times did he get rid of everything? We'll never know. <laughs> Can I tell you, anybody who's ever moved knows that accumulation comes naturally to us. I know somebody who at 16 years of age, which is important because I wasn't even born again until 18, began tithing 20% of his income. Never did he fail to tithe 20%. You say, well, it's easy, he didn't make anything. Really, you think it's easier when you don't make anything? I've watched his life. His father gave away his college fund. That's a Father's Day message. His father invested all that he might become a man of God, but demanded that it could not be inheriting his father's ministry. I watched that 16-year-old at 18... Full-time employment. By his 19th birthday, he was making more money than any degree that he could have graduated from college in. And he was still tithing 20% of his income. And he was giving to every mission strip that there was because he absolutely knew what it meant to invest. Then I watched God begin to give him sons. I have seen the blessing of the Lord That comes from sacrificial living. And I've seen how it's multiplied. In fact that 16 year old inspired his father in many many ways. Because what was a radical transformation in his father. Was completely natural in his son. You have no idea. What your actions today will produce tomorrow. I only know what your inaction will do. It is so important. That you evaluate yourself as we go through this message. We're 53 minutes in. And it's so easy to go, all all churches ever do is talk about money. To hell if I do. (laughs) It's true. The offerings that we've taken up in the 17 years or 18 years we've been doing this in Texas have always been for someone else. And they still are since I'm safely insulated from the finances of LCM. You're not even permitted to give to the one association, but I can tell you that this church is the largest contributor to the one association, yes, we are. although the other churches are right on your heels.
1: Well, no, we're going to have to work at it. Come on, turn to a familiar passage with me. Look at Revelation 14. I'm going to take a look at the 13th verse. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, "Right, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. I want you to consider Acts 2. This setting is we're in Antioch, we're in Jerusalem, we're in Rome. The beginnings of the gospel spreading out come from this, this point in history. And we have a handful of believers that is not much more than what our churches are collectively, between the one association. And yet, from this location, these humble beginnings, the kingdom broke out all over the world, where we have men like Thomas going as far as India. We have the nations being affected. Many of you have heard about revivals your whole life. You've heard about a time when churches were more serious about missions. You listened to sermons by Renard Ravenhill... Back from John Wesley, before the Methodist Church became what it is today. In this moment, we have the opportunity to physically participate in something that our deeds will be remembered into eternity. Your sacrifice may not make it into world history, but just like the men in Acts 2, we're going on the edge of making kingdom history here and now. We're making a monument in heaven. A handful of spirit-filled, devoted, sacrificial, and insatiable men set the world on fire by giving their literal all, all of the time. See, we say all in. We say, I gave it my all. We often use that as a euphemism and don't actually mean that we gave all. We carelessly throw around the word 100%. Oh, I'm 100% with you. The way that it looked in Acts 2 is they literally had all things in common. We have the opportunity in this room for that actually to be true about you, wow. for it to be true about me, that we have all invested, That's good. that we're not giving 10% of what we hold. Like Ananias and Sapphira, we have the opportunity to evaluate what we are choosing to give and being wholehearted and truthful about it, because we can't say that we are all in and then give 80%. If you're going to give 80%, then just say, I'm giving 80%. I want to live a life like Acts 2. Do you want to live a life like Acts 2? We don't have to hear and read about revivals. We can participate in something in our day and age that will shake the nations. That we will see our sons and grandsons and spiritual children spreading out over the earth even more than we have now. But what it takes is sacrificial investment on our part. I want to remind you of our Legio Fulminata story. You've heard it many times. A few of you have your bodies marked as a reminder about it. In this story that happened in Turkey, God had ordained 40 martyrs, but there were only 39. One man would be honored to fill the need, and only one. One man came off the bank, and that was the only slot that was available. There were multitudes on the banks. They were feasting, had warm baths. We cannot simply look idly by on the banks as these men stand on the ice while we hug close to our food and warm baths. See, there was a multitude there that watched it, and yet only one had the honor of participating in it. Maybe some of them were inspired and got born again later. That's great. I'm very happy for it. But that's not at all the same thing as the man who ran to stand on the ice. We have the opportunity to stand on the ice with men who have given their all to see this ministry built and daily are giving their all to see each of our missionaries supported who have never missed a payment and genuinely have more than they need on most occasions. Stretching out to the other churches all around this country and in other countries while personally themselves be made poorer and poorer. We have the opportunity to stand on the ice with them and we cannot sit back where we have warm baths, comfortable food, But only a few of us will have the opportunity to be the first to reach that goal. I want to be the 40th man. Not the 200th who had to watch a thousand other people go before I worked up the courage. I want to be the 40th man in this room. Philippians 4.17 says that not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be accredited to your account. Saints, you know me. I'm not speaking about something that I will personally receive. I'm speaking about something that should be credited to your account because you have an opportunity for God to view you as having given an offering that is pleasing in His sight and will be mattered in eternity. I profit nothing by what you do, but I'm looking for what may be accredited to your account. There are times in a man's life when he has only a few moments to decide what will be recorded in eternity. You don't have eternity to decide, but only a few moments that the Lord gives for you to gather your grit right now is going to be recorded and replayed before the heavens. What is it that you want written about you? God will have his 40 martyrs out on the ice. Elijah had his provision, even if it came from ravens and the vision that the Lord has given these men will be accomplished. The only question is, will God remember you as one of the lion-hearted few who joined in that endeavor, who sacrificed all Or will you be remembered as a coward who watched the work go by? Let it pass you by right in front of you. Fifteen years from now, we'll be remembering when God burst something that is now accomplished. Will you be able to say, I had a hand in building it? Or will you be sitting back and wishing that you had been more courageous? I say that we have a hand in it. Let no man in the room miss their opportunity to do something for the Lord. It's rarely as simple as standing And sacrificing something. We're going to have to do it again and again and again. But right now, you have the opportunity to initiate it. To set a fire that we're going to keep going. I want to tell you we are in our
0: last passage. The spirit of what we're saying is not that we're trying to fleece you. I think you know that if you know us. What we're saying is that we've given all there is and much more which we don't have. And the work is too important to stop. Second Corinthians 8 is an important principle. And this is what drove this. This is not much of a Father's Day message. But it is a message from God. As I said, Charlie and Caleb took care of our Father's Day message. The Lord began to deal with me on the way home. All I wanted to do was hug your neck. All I wanted to do was rest in my own bed after being gone for more than half the year. All I wanted to do was rejoice in the men and women that you've become. But this passage became heavy on my heart. It's 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. And even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. Of sharing in this service to the saints. Do you know that the Macedonian churches began from a missionary trip in Acts 16? Do you know what sent me in a car to go find Matthew Piro and ask him to, to join the vision that we have. What scripture it was. It was Acts 16. And God began to deal with me about the privilege of sharing in the service. I've often been prideful. I'm praying the Lord circumcise that away. Preaching about a subject like this is going a long ways to cutting away things from my own life. My attitude has always been, it's a privilege and I don't care whether you participate or not, because we'll get it done anyway. It's 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 been a a slight macho bravado in that. And I'm not going to lie, I enjoy it. And the Lord began dealing with me. I cannot deny you the privilege of doing the very work that God called you to do. We cannot do that. I've just come from the other churches, and I want you to know they've been generous beyond their ability. I'm talking about the faith to give all the way to zero. You go meet Zeke Lamb and look at what he is doing. And he's not so obsessed with his vision that he doesn't every single month so into this. He does. So does Justin Johnson. So does Eric Triester. So does the Arising Church. You can't believe what the Arising Church has done. It's a privilege to share in the service of the saints. Remnant does it too, by the way. I think our largest offering last month was from Remnant. It's a privilege to share in the service of the saints. Consider it filling up in your flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's suffering. How many of you have been beaten for the gospel? Wow. How many of you had a gun put to your head? How many of you had a gun pointed at you in a convoy when you were with me? How many of you have been detained in an airport for hours because of security? Who's been stripped and interrogated? It is a privilege to get to participate in the sufferings of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, I have spent years saying, I don't want your money. Don't send a check. Uh, All I want is your life. Don't you dare think you can just write a check. We want you to get on the plane and go with us. I have spent years saying that. Now we stand on the precipice of a precious privilege to build the kingdom. And I am saying to you, stand up and write a check. Because if we cannot get on the plane to get there, then how do I preach to them? If we cannot get in a car and drive to them, then how do I do it? And I will not take something from this church without this church being whole. The Stevens have spent $8,000 we do not have. We remember we started with zero. That means that that is literal debt in the service of the churches this year, and they are giving sacrificially. LCM as a church is carrying a record debt for the first time in our history. We've never done it. We built something from nothing. We invited our neighbors who said no, but there have been enough miracle babies born. Enough barren women getting pregnant. Enough people that were drug addicts getting jobs and getting straight. There have been enough transformed lives that we have literally never been in this position before. Yeah. And I want you to understand the timing. We've watched the devil pick off people who were called to finance what we do. Yeah. I watched our provision drive down the road in a motorhome. Yeah. New vehicles petty disagreements that leave us raising their children while they go and do what they always wanted to do. This is what spiritual warfare looks like. But I do want to tell you confidently, I'm not concerned because God does want it done and it will get done. It's important that we not muzzle the oxen while they are treading out the most successful harvest in our history. There are eight churches that are birthed because of our work here. I can't tell you the countless roads and missions that we have paved for people. I bet I've slept more on dirt floors in India than anybody in this room other than Grace. I've been sick in every country that I've gone to, but you know what that has produced Over all of these years. We're doing ministry on every continent that's not covered in ice. This is not the time. To back away from sacrifice. It's the time to embrace it. Amen. In 2 Corinthians
1: 8. He goes on to say some other things. He says I am not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love. By comparing it with the earnestness of others. Verse 8. It's an interesting concept. He says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. And he does this by comparing it with the other churches. Our Father is not commanding you, but he is testing the sincerity of your love by comparing it with those that are around. LCM has always led the way. It's the truth of the matter. LCM will continue to lead the way. We'll make sure of it. This is the church that I was raised in. This is the church that I'm raising my sons in. This is the kind of church that we're going to plant overseas. It's one that digs deeper, sacrifices more than everybody else every time because it's what we are called to do. We're not going to let Others outpace us in our willingness to dig deep for the Lord. And I'm speaking to somebody who's going to participate along with you about what we're preaching about. The Yankees, the Virginians, our Bayou friends, and our couple Texas brothers are all sacrificial servants. And they're not going to make it easy on us. But I intend to win. We intend to win. It's what we do. I refuse to let anyone take my place. I refuse to let anybody else get on the ice before us. If somebody's going to get on the ice to meet this need, we're going to do it together because we're family. Whatever we have to sacrifice, whatever we have to sell, whatever accounts we have to open and transfer, we're going to make it work. It's worth doing because it's what we are called to do. And we are producing something that other churches will be able to sprout off of, grow stronger from. And all around the world, our sacrifice will make a difference in nations that you May or may not even touch, but the King of Kings knows what is happening.
0: I have just a couple more things to say to you, because I can't not say them and walk out. I know that you've got reservations at Luby's or wherever you go. (laughs) And I can confidently say that you will not beat the Church of Christ there. But we may yet edge out some of the Pentecostals if we hurry. What a privilege it is to participate in the sufferings of Christ. There are very few ways that you can put that into practice practically though. I know what it is to be shot at and held at knife point. But that's not every day. You may get a courageous moment at some point in your life that you get to stand up. But every day you get a chance not to be a coward financially. Amen. There could be this voice screaming in your ear. I know many times there was in mine, and I even saw it in the prophet Elijah. You know what they're saying is not prudent. How prudent is it for a mighty man to go into a pit on a snowy day and kill a lion? How prudent is it to face hundreds or to be unarmed or any of the other things that the 30 fighting men did? Let's talk the apostle Paul for a minute having received 195 lashes. Think through that. Five times I received the 40 minus 1 from the Jews. Five times. That's 195 lashes. You do the math a bit, that's 156 more lashes than Jesus Christ Himself received. What caused a man like that to do that? And then to write to the Philippians, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking. He saw it as his joy to join the sacrifice. Is somebody else stealing your lashes by taking five when they were meant to be spread out among five people? Has fear denied you the privilege, the opportunity to join the fellowship of suffering? Well, I want to make sure that I have in the future. How about right now? We've got three international trips left this year. Tickets bought for one of them, half bought for the other, and no idea how to get to the third or eat on any of the three. And these brothers will kill themselves to support it. But I'm watching them sink further and further into debt. I haven't even asked the other churches because they're already participating in such a big way. But I have a feeling that the arising church will hear what we're saying here today. It'd be really interesting to see how that particular squabble works out. Which begs the question. My son is a competitive man and I love him. It drives him in the kingdom. The appetite works for the laborer. And he mentioned Yankees and he mentioned Bayou Boys and I don't know what he called the Virginians. And there's a little bit of Elsium skin in the game where you you wanna win. You know, I gotta confess. All of those churches are so close to me that at this point, we're actually one. I don't see it that way. You know the overwhelming thought that I have? When we slip into eternity, when we are standing in the millennial reign of Christ, we are firmly planted on the earth, and we are looking around us. Will you have anything to say when you're standing next to people who have left their houses? who have sold their properties, who have cashed in their inheritances, what is it that you will talk to them about for an eternity? How blessed you were? Every dollar given to LCM will be used wisely by LCM. LCM will lead the way in supporting the apostolic ministry of the one association. At present, I don't know how all of this is going to work out, but then again, I never have. Not since 2002, and yet we've done it. Yeah. Elder Charlie just raised his hand. I remember when he got here and he made a budget for us, and I laughed, And i but he that man is a spiritual father to me. I do exactly what he says. He said, make a budget. We made a budget. Every year the budget got bigger, and so did the deficit between what we had and the budget. <laughs> And every year we got it done. When Matthew Pirro came on board, we had two-thirds less support than we needed, but he still sits here. When Wade Sutherland came on board, we said, Wade, when you feel like it's time, come on board. That's a problem for a man that was a teacher for a living. He can count. (laughs) We reminded him occasionally that the Lord's math is different five Fish and two loaves ends up twelve basketfuls. You have to leave God, room for God's arithmetic. And now the three of us have been serving this body. Amen. Every new nation that we've gone to, every orphanage that we've built, every missionary that eats before any man in this room eats knows that we never had it and we did it anyway. Amen. The overwhelming message that I want to leave you with as my son closes who, by the way, had no idea he was speaking until I heard his thoughts this morning, is that it is an extraordinary privilege to get to share in the work of the Lord. And it can be very difficult to not be the one that was in the Acts class, to not be the one that made it onto the trip to Turkey or onto the trip to Suriname or onto the trip to any one of the 40 plus countries our ministry has been to. But nobody can keep you from participating in this privilege but you, right now.
1: We've never asked and we are asking now because the work must get done. This body has been blessed with jobs, children, houses, even things like vacations. More than any other time in our history, we're watching successful pregnancies and miraculous testified to events. The Lord has worked in our families and in our workplaces where we're seeing people born again, seeing people even get promotions and grow. It's also a good moment for us to remember Haggai's words, that at a time when we are more blessed than we have ever been in our life, we've experienced loss this year, but nothing like what we have in the past, Overall, in this church, the Lord is working to bring about life. And we are watching it happen before our eyes. Do you agree with me? You've seen this happening? Now's the time to consider your own paneled house. How is it that we can allow ourselves to be more prosperous than we ever have, and yet the house of God does not have what it needs to complete its work? It's time that we complete the temple. That we stop messing around with our own paneling. That we stop restoring things that are not the kingdom of God. And we focus on what needs to be done. That we reassess where our finances are. We're speaking about on a weekly basis and we're speaking on where you have laid things up in this moment. Is it really worth leaving that as your monument on earth instead of a monument in heaven? It's time to start thinking about faith to go all the way down to zero. We say that in all seriousness because it's what we've done. It's what the pastors have done. It's what we've done personally. We've cashed in everything that we've had standing here now. And we're still supplied, still taken care of, and have zero backups. That's the case for the pastors as well as the people that I live with and share a bank account with. We really have gone all the way down to zero. There is no backup plan. And we're telling you that it's worth doing. That you should do the same thing. That there shouldn't be anything remaining. That it is worth digging deep. If you need to repent today, then come down and repent. And then stand up and act. If you need to get filled, strengthened, empowered, get over fear, whatever it is that you have that is holding you back, we will pray for you. Come down and we'll do it. And then stand up and act. We are asking you to write a check, to transfer whatever you have to transfer from a retirement account, from a savings account, and to make a sacrifice that is wholehearted and is the full price. If you do not have the ability to write a check today, you do not have the ability To get it transferred today, I am asking you, we are asking you, write a pledge and make sure it's something that you are committed to fulfilling and put a date on it and put it in the offering box and give the church something to plan on coming in because you're going to hold your vows to the Lord. That right now, when we are worshiping, it would be sin and a mistake to just lift your hands and worship and not do something. When I get off this stage, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to go get a check, and I'm going to walk to that box. I invite you to do it with me this morning, and to do it wholeheartedly, sacrificially, and not leave something between you and the Lord that you should be moving on right here and right now, because I want to give Him my all. Do you want to give Him your all? Jesus, we thank you for this body. Lord, we thank You for the ability to be able to speak to each other this way because we are family. Lord, and we are united by Your sacrifice, by Your holiness. Father, we're asking that right now You would help us, You would move our hearts, and that we praise You for the opportunity to participate in what You are doing in this kingdom. Jesus, that You would stir us up to zeal. Lord, I praise Your holy name. You are good. You will allow us to see Your kingdom coming down upon the earth. Holy One. Let your spirit rest in this place and move men to action. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.